I'm going to ask you to um, direct your attention to the screen for a minute. Got two little short video clips I'm going to show you to intro the message this morning. I don't do this often, but I need to call out one of the biggest heresies in the modern church. If your preacher tells you that it is a sin to be LGBT, they are twisting scripture to fit their own agenda. There is not a single verse from Genesis to Revelation that condemns homosexuality or LGBT identity. And if you do just a little research into the culture, context, and original language of the six verses in scripture that are often pulled out of context to condemn LGBT people, you will find that they do not refer to loving, committed, same-sex relationships like we find in our modern world. We need to stop this false teaching because it not only harms people spiritually, but it causes mental and psychological distress that results in mental health issues and even suicide. This teaching does not bear good fruits, it is not of God, and it is unbiblical, and all who teach it will be held accountable for their false teaching. So these questions are 100% fair, because the most dangerous churches in America are not the ones that are bigoted and homophobic, but the ones that are accepting, but not affirming. Because the bait and switch is extremely harmful to our friends in the LGBTQIA community, so I want to be 100% transparent. So would I officiate an LGBTQIA plus wedding? Yes. As a matter of fact, I am a week from today. Would I allow LGBTQIA plus leaders in my church? Yes. We have folks in that community who help teach Sunday school, who help lead our worship, who sit on our leadership team. Because as a pastor, I truly believe that Jesus affirms you, and therefore, so do I. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. I'm going to be honest with you. I really tried to get away from doing this today just for the mere fact that there are kids in the building. Um, it was on my mind as I sat down and began to try to prepare for the day that this is big church day for the kids. I don't need to go there today. But I couldn't go anywhere else. And I would just say that if you feel like this is too much for your kid, I get that. But I want you to understand that this is what they're up against. This is what's being shoved down their throat. And I don't know if you caught it in the videos, but we are now the heretics. We are now the false teachers. We are now the ones that God will hold accountable. This is what they see on a daily basis at their fingertips. If your kid has a phone with any social media app on it, this is what they're being exposed to. And even if you are monitoring their content, they're learning things from their peers at school whose parents are not monitoring their social media and online content. 
And, and I, I feel like the responsibility of Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 6 is that I am a watchman to the church. And that if I see dangerous teachings, dangerous things going on around us, and according to chapter 33 verse 6, if I fail to sound the alarm, God will hold me responsible for not doing so. I cannot be silent and I cannot be indifferent in the direction that our culture has taken us and that now the church is beginning to shift. Actually, it's been going on for a while, but it's, it's increasing at a breakneck speed right now. And by the way, the Bible tells us that as we approach the coming of Christ, that it's going to be just like what we see before us now. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2, the whole chapter warns the church about the damning influences of heretics and the heresies that they promote. Now, I understand in the two videos that you just watched, they labeled me the heretic. They labeled my preaching as the heresy. And, and it said in 2 Peter chapter 2 that, that they're going to they're speak evil of the way of truth. Now, they would accuse me of doing to them the same thing that I'm doing this morning. But I hope by the end of this message, you can weigh out who's telling you the truth and who's not. Now, the, the whole dialogue that we started this morning began with the word but. And so if you look at, this is a continuation of chapter 1. And I'm not going to go back and, and even read that to you. Um, but, but Peter had this experience with Christ where he saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration and that Christ was glorified before him and James and John. He, he, he was fully identified as God on the Mount of Transfiguration. But Peter went on to say that we have a more sure word of prophecy than even that direct revelation of Jesus Christ. And that more sure word of prophecy is the Old Testament scriptures that were given to us. That's the Bible that Jesus preached from. That's the Bible that Paul preached from. That's the Bible that Peter, James, John, Jude, that's the Bible that all of them preached from was the Old Testament. The New Testament is just a revelation of what the Old Testament teaches us. Christ himself on the road from Emmaus hid his identity from the apostles or from those two disciples that were walking. Hid his identity from them until he had reasoned with them from the scriptures from Moses, from the law, from the prophets that identified who the Christ was and what the Christ would do, and then he opened their eyes. The reason for that is that he wanted them to be more thoroughly grounded in Scripture than in any experience that they had ever had. He wanted them grounded in the truth of what God has said rather than any experience that they might um, relate to. So chapter 2 warns of false teachers who claim to be speaking for God, but who instead are representatives, emissaries, ambassadors of Satan himself. They're heretics. Now, I don't use that word lightly. I do, I do not believe that there is a church in this community of Millwood that has a heretic in the pulpit or that preaches heresies. I disagree with some of them about some things, but they are not heretical. I'm working with a group of pastors right now to promote an event that we're going to have in July in our community that I hope we have 30, 40 churches on board and two to 3,000 Christians serving our community and rallying together for a kingdom rally. There's a lot of guys who we disagree about a few things, but who I do not label heretics. I do not label their teachings heretical. 
Those two guys I just showed you on the screen are heretics who are preaching heresy. I cannot identify with them. I will not identify with them. I will not fellowship with them. I will not partnership with them. I will not participate with them in doing anything that they're trying to do. I know of one church in our county that I cannot have any kind of fellowship with because they're preaching and promoting that. They're heretics because they oppose and reject the doctrines that have been historically accepted by the church. For 2,000 years, they are rejecting and opposing doctrines that have been historically accepted by the church. Their heresies are the result of them taking scriptures and twisting them or by using private, personal interpretations of the scripture to promote their own goal and their own agenda. If you look back at chapter 1, Peter said there is no prophecy of Scripture that came of any private and personal interpretation. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So I want to talk to you about, I want to try to expose them this morning. And here's the way, it just alliterated easily. Maybe you can remember some of it as you read through this text. First of all, their masquerade. They're masquerade. The Bible says that there will be false teachers among you. Now what that means is that these false teachers are going to be among the professing church. They are going to be among people who identify themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. There are wolves that will be disguised as shepherds and sheep. Jesus warned about them in Matthew chapter 7. That, that chapter, by the way, that begins with judge not that you be not judged and then identifies to us that good trees bear good fruit, bad trees bear bad fruit. You know a tree by the fruit that it bears. Wolves will disguise themselves. But if you look at their motives and their operations, you'll know that they're wolves. Jude chapter 4. Jude, you could read Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2 side by side and see that Peter and Jude, who is a half-brother of Jesus, were on the same page. Jude 4 said that there are certain men that have crept in unaware. They have crept into the church, ordained to condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into a wicked thing and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to say more about that last phrase. In just a minute. Their masquerade is that they appear to be something that they are not. They will speak spiritual language. They will, they will speak spiritual language. They may talk about salvation. They may talk about sanctification. They may talk about justification. They may talk about grace. They may talk about the deity of Christ. They may talk about um, God and his, as his, in His role as creator. They may even talk favorably about God and favorably about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but if you look at who they are and what they are representing, they are heretics and promoting heresies. They are masquerading as angels of light when they are indeed ambassadors of Satan. Second Corinthians chapter 11 uh, verses 13 through 15. We read this several times when we were talking about um, how the devil works. Paul identified them. 
before you get mad and angry and call me judgmental or whatever, the Apostle Paul and Peter and Jude and all of the writers of the Old Testament identified false prophets, false teachers, and called them what they were. He said for these people that have crept into Corinth, they are false apostles, deceitful workers. They transformed themselves into the apostles of Christ. They're masquerading as apostles. Um, that, that 14th verse um, says that there is no marvel that they do this because Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. The 15th verse. It is no great thing. It's nothing. We should not be surprised if his ministers are also transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Now, what we, what we have learned from Scripture is that these people like this have always been around. They were around then. They were abundant in the city of Corinth. It was a very wicked and moral city. Sexuality was a big part of their, their immorality. Temple worship involved prostitution in their pagan temples. And that stuff had crept into the church, and there were those in the church that were promoting um, those doctrines. They've always been around, but the Scripture warns us that as the second coming of Christ approaches, that there will be an increase in their activity. Satan knows that his time is short. He's working overtime before the second coming of Christ. Uh, and as you heard in the videos, they'll go even so far as to accuse the real pastors, the real shepherds of being the imposters. It's a masquerade. Their manipulation. The Bible says that they shall privily bring in damnable heresies. That means with subtlety. And here's how they do that. They take the, some of the same words that you and I use. Spiritual words, Bible words. And they redefine them. And they repackage them. And they reinterpret them. If you listen to either one of those guys very much, and I don't encourage you to do that, I think it's my responsibility to know what's being talked about in the world around me and to combat that with the truth, especially when I know that your children and my children and grandchildren are hearing it. They will take the, all of the scriptures that deal with homosexuality in the Bible and say that that, is, that only applies to a man raping a boy. That it does not apply to consensual adults. They redefine the words. They repackage the words. They repurpose it for their own agenda and for their own gain. The historical position of the church for 2,000 years has not changed nor has God's word in fact this is what I've noticed is that these guys are they're, they're, they're more fond of telling you what the scriptures don't say than they are of telling you what the scriptures do say so literally what they do their, their mode of teaching is undoing what other real preachers and teachers and shepherds are doing. They talk more about what this doesn't mean than what it does mean. And what you'll find if you listen to them very much is they're perpetually explaining away the Scriptures. 
I'm just going to tell you, if you're not a devoted student of the Word of God, you're going to be deceived. Jesus warned when he talked about his second coming that if it that the deception is going to be so intense in the last days that if it were possible, Satan would deceive even the very elect. If you are not a devoted student of the Word of God, you're not going to notice those manipulations because they're so subtle. It'll sound good. It'll tickle your ears. It'll, it'll make you feel more comfortable with sinful lifestyles that you've always been convicted about. It'll try to put you at ease with those things. It'll turn the grace of God into a license to sin. They'll say just enough truth to draw you in. And then they'll repurpose it to fit a demonic agenda and draw you away from God. By the way, in addition to all of the LGBT, I'm trying, to not, I'm trying not to use too strong a language this morning, but your kids are going to be very familiar, and they keep adding letters to it. It's LGBTQIA plus now. And I understand they've developed 26 different genders that a person can identify as. That's not the only heresy that's out there. In fact, the next step beyond this is the deconstruction of faith. I watched a video this morning of a man who is on TikTok who said, if you have walked away from your faith, if you have renounced everything that you were taught as a child in an evangelical Bible teaching church, if you've walked away from your belief in God and your belief in creation and your belief in salvation and justification and sin and all that, um, you're not weak and you're not a failure. You're bold and you're courageous. And if you need somebody to talk to, I'm here for you. As if deconstructing your faith is the most courageous thing that you could do today. Notice not only that, but notice their malfeasance. Now this is a word that fit, I had another word, but I'm going to use this one because it started with an M. It means a unequivocal disobedience by a person in an official position. So here's what they do. They deny the Lord. Jude said the same thing, but let me tell you what that means. It does not mean that they, they don't believe that Jesus exists or that God exists or they, they, may not, they may even believe who Jesus is. But when it says they deny the Lord that bought them, you look it up. I ain't making this up. You can look it up in a strong concordance. You look at the original language. It's, it literally means they say no to. They say no to His law, His command. His words, they say no to Jesus' rule over their life. They'll freely accept His grace. They'll talk about His forgiveness. They'll talk about His love. 
They'll talk about His mercy, but they will not talk to you about His Lordship. They will not talk to you about surrender and submission to His Lordship. So when the Bible says they deny the Lord, it's a rejection of His authority. It may not be a rejection of His deity. It may not be a rejection of His atonement. It may not be a rejection of His resurrection. Those same two guys were talking about the resurrection. It may not be a rejection of His second coming, but it is a rejection of His Lordship. By the way, Jesus said that there would come a time when people would stand in His presence in heaven and say, Lord, Lord, did we not... In your name, cast out devils and do many wonderful works. And I will, repart, I will reply to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Otherwise translated, you lovers of lawlessness. I never knew you. So these are people that are accepting that Jesus may indeed be God manifested in human flesh who died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, but they deny His Lordship over their lives. Sounds a whole lot like what the demons do. You understand the demons know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus did. The Bible said, in fact, that they tremble at His name. They have not and will not submit themselves to His Lordship. So these guys may preach and teach all of those things. But when it comes to looking at what He expects, commands of us, they say no. There's another guy on there that's, um, he don't talk a whole lot about sexuality, but he's picking apart the New Testament and picking apart New Testament preachers with things about it's not essential for you to attend worship. It's not essential for you to tithe. It's not essential. You don't have to do this. He didn't mean that that way. This is for Jewish people that hadn't accepted. And, and literally, piece by piece, picking apart the New Testament, all the while saying he believes in who Jesus is and in what Jesus did. Now we can argue until Jesus comes whether or not they're true believers or not. But they identify themselves as such and deny him with their works. They may tout His love and grace, but you will hardly, if ever, hear them speak of His holiness or a Christian's responsibility to be holy because He is holy. Their methodology. I'm going to have to take you to a little different section of this whole second chapter to pull this thought out, but this is what they do. Look at verse 18. When they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. So here's the methodology. They allure through the lust of the flesh. Now, we're all sensual people. Not sensual, that's not, don't just think sexual. Think sensual. We, if it smells good, if it looks good, if it tastes good, if it feels good. It appeals to us. 
The Bible said there's pleasure in sin for a season. Why? Because it appeals to that sensual nature of us. But the Bible says that, that when we walk that way, when we walk according to the lust of our flesh, then we cannot walk according to the will of the Spirit. And, and, and it may, it's, Paul made it very clear in Galatians chapter 5. If you walk in the flesh, if, or if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh sensuality will be brought under control so that you can walk in a way that pleases and honors the God who bought you. That word wantonness, I'm going to key in on this because I don't believe this is, I don't believe that when Peter wrote this that he's trying to cover every heresy and every heretical teaching that's out there. But in this particular instance and in Jude's same warning, Wantonness is, here's the Greek word, look it up for yourself, blue letter Bible will help you or online or you can use a Strong's Concordance, I don't, I'm not sure I can even pronounce it right, Asogia. A-S-E-L-G-E-I-A, here's what it means, sexual immorality, depravity, sexual debauchery without any Restraint. We can go through the Bible and I could show you account after account after account after account where, where Satan used sexual immorality to bring curses upon God's people. If you, if you read the following, the rest of 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, you're going you're gonna to find those, those, th those illustrations of damnation. Noah, what does the Bible say? In the days of Noah they, Noah, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And if you read into that and you study that out, it means that they were taking them wives of anybody that they wanted. They were, they were bogged down in sexual immorality and only Noah found grace. The rest were destroyed. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah. And these false teachers will tell you that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of their inhospitability to strangers. Because of a few little phrases that are given in the account. When you look in the New Testament, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of their sexual immorality. He said that they followed the way of Balaam. You know what Balaam did? Balaam said, I can't curse what God's blessed. I can't bless what God's cursed, and I can't curse what God's blessed. But he found a way around that. In that the Bible says he enticed the nation of Israel to engage themselves in sexual immorality with pagans and brought God's curse on the nation. So we're talking about their methodology is that they give people the liberty to live in sin. And so listen to me, anybody that you ever see justify sin in any, in any sense of the word, label them a false teacher, label them a false prophet. Am I sinless? No. Are you sinless? No. I'm not giving you a liberty or a license to sin. The Bible tells me that I'm at war with sin in my life and that I'm not, not to let it have any dominion over me, but that I ought to exercise power over it and conquer it in my life. We've been given the Spirit of God for that purpose. But these false prophets are going to give people the liberty 
to live any way they want to live. That word licentiousness is lawlessness. To live as if you have no law. And when they teach that, they expose themselves as a false prophet and a false professor of the Christian faith. And if you don't, you don't have to take my word for that. You go read 2 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in about verse 11 through verse 15. The grace of God that bringeth salvation um, hath taught us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live godly, righteously, soberly here in this present world. They allure us. Sexual immorality, I believe, is mankind, one of mankind's weakest temptations. It is is where the enemy has been successful over and over and over again. Even in the life of some of the spiritual giants in the Bible, they fail. They're merchandise. This is sad, but the Bible says many shall follow. I use the same word that, that Peter used. Through covetous shall they with feigned with false words make merchandise of you. He said, many shall follow their pernicious ways. The appeal to gratify the flesh is strong, even for believers. And these false teachers are leading a lot of people astray. Many are following them. Now, I'm, I'm going to say something, and I don't, I'm not being mean-spirited. God designed sexuality exclusively for the marriage. If there is not a covenant of marriage, there should be no sexual activity. You say, preacher, you just old-fashioned. No, I'm just biblical. And, I'm, and I will stand before you with a shamed face and tell you that I have been immoral. I have been ungodly. I have lived in ways that I am ashamed of today. Just because I did that did not make it right. Just because I did that did not mean the church that I was a part of was supposed to pretend like it didn't matter. It does matter. When you engage in sex outside of marriage, you are outside of God's will and nothing good will ever come of that. Now, I don't tell people that because I hate them. I tell people that because I love them. And you can call me hateful and judgmental and whatever you want to call me, but I'm telling you, you cannot improve on what God designed. You can't take it out of the context that he designed it for and make it a good thing. I'm telling you, in marriage, it is a wonderful thing. It is an incredible thing. It is one of the most wonderful gifts that God ever gave us for procreation, for pleasure, for intimacy. It is incredible in marriage. But when you take it out of that, it is one of the most destructive things um, that that the devil can bring to this world. And he's doing it. And he's doing it in the church. If we believe and practice otherwise, then that false teaching and false belief has made merchandise of us. It 
And I, I, if we're going to stand on truth, now how many of you, when them guys was talking about LGBTQIA and how the Bible never condemns it, never speaks that it's wrong, and that people that are living that way should be free to be married and to serve in leadership positions in the church. How many of you were felt a rising, a righteous indignation in your heart about what they were saying? I felt it. You should have felt it. But listen to me. That's not the only sexual immorality that's in the world. And if we're not going to speak out against all of it, we lose our right to speak out against any of it. Do you hear me? If I'm going to stand up here and call homosexuality what it is, an abomination, then I've got to stand up here and say sex outside of marriage is against the will of God. We're getting all worked up about transgenderism. And I'm worked up about it. My friend Donnie Durant said when he was four years old, he thought he was a race car. He said everywhere he went, he was spinning wheels and opening the full barrel up. But his parents didn't, didn't get him a paint job and put him some tires on. <laughs> Listen, these four, five, six-year-old kids are being indoctrinated. Listen, I, my aunt's dressed me. I, I made a pretty girl. I've got a picture of me somewhere with a dress on. We got one of Zach with his curly hair. He's a nice-looking little girl. I played with my aunt's Barbie dolls. But I'm going to be honest, I thought them Barbie dolls sexy back in the day. <laughs> if you do that now, son, they'll have you signed up for gender reassignment surgery and have you taking hormone blockers to keep you from being who God's called you to be. And we ought to be worked up about that stuff. Thank God for governors like the governor in Florida who has called a shot, who has called an end to it in the public education. I'm thankful for him. He's catching a lot of heat. They've totally distorted everything that that bill was about. Trying to crucify him. We've got to have more men like that. But what I'm here to tell you is if we're going to stand up against transgenderism, if we're going to stand up against homosexuality, then we got to stand up against all sexual immorality, which is anything outside of the boundary of marriage. And it's pretty easy to fix that. If you love the person that you're with, and you believe God designed for you to be with them for the rest of your life, get married to them. I did some marriage counseling for a couple, and they don't, they don't go to church here, and they wouldn't mind me sharing this because it was funny to them, and it's funny to me. They've been living together for a while, and they've not been married. Both of them were convicted about it. Both of them came and said, we've got to get this right. I was glad for them. They want to know what I help them. And I said, yeah, I'll help you. You have to sit through some premarital counseling. We went through some premarital counseling. And I didn't even, and you, you, you can feel wrong towards me, and you can feel whatever you want. I really don't care how you feel right now about this. But I told them, I said, look, you guys have been together for a long time, so I'm, I'm not going to say that you've got to do this for me to marry you. But the marriage was five, six weeks away. I said, you ought to separate. I said, I'm not going to tell you you've got to do it. I'm just telling you all to do it. 
If God's convicted you about it, you ought to separate until you get married. I didn't know what they'd do with that. I just left it there, prayed with them. They left, and about two hours later, the daddy of the guy called. He said, what have you done to me? I said, I don't know what you're talking about, brother. He said, this boy ain't lived at home in 10 years, and he just come back in with all his clothes in the sack. <laughs> and the day after that wedding, that guy called me and said, I'm so glad we did that. I felt like we honored God and it made our honeymoon special. When you do it God's way, when you honor God, God honors you. The last point, the malignancy. The Bible uses the term damnable. That same word is translated in this text, damnable, destruction, pernicious, and damnation. It's used four times in the three verses that we read. It always means eternal misery in hell. Peter used it two more times in this epistle. In chapter 3, verse 7, he said, The heavens and earth which are now by the same word kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition. That's damnation of ungodly men. The 16th verse, Paul said in all his epistles, talking about the things that Paul had written, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or twist as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. That same word is used there, damnation. It means to be utterly destroyed. Now you can, you can sit there and say, Preacher, you're being unloving this morning. No, I'm trying to save folks from eternal destruction. And if you pat somebody on the back and tell them, they okay living outside the will of God. That ain't love to me. These heretics and these heresies are not friends. They're not friends of God. They're not friends of the church. They're not friends of you. The lies that they spread are malignant, they're a cancer that bring damnation. And if we sit back and say nothing and do nothing, God's going to hold us responsible. we got to proclaim the truth. If you're looking to be popular, it's fixing to get increasingly hard to stand on these truths and have people like you. But it hadn't changed. It won't change. And God's going to hold us responsible. I want to see a generation. We sang a song. I want to see a generation on their knees before the Lord. Submitting and surrendering themselves to Him. I want to see a church rise up and be who He's called us to be. 
We can't do that unless we repent of our sin. He's not going to send revival while we wallow in sin. We've got to call it what it is. Confess it and forsake it. Then we'll find his mercy and grace. Let's stand. Lord, I... Thank you for your word even when it's hard to preach and it's hard to hear. And you know my heart, Lord. I don't want to hurt anybody. I want to help everybody. I want them to be in your will. I've lived my life outside of your will. I know the hurt the harm, the pain, the shame, the guilt, the destruction that comes from that. I don't want anybody living outside of your will. I pray you to help me to help them. first thing they have to do is hear the truth of your word and respond to the conviction of your Holy Spirit I can't do that for them I remember when you brought me to that place that I couldn't deny your lordship any longer what a radical transformation happened in that moment I lost my love for sin and fell in love with an incredible Savior still am there ain't no better life than the life that's lived inside the will of God Lord I pray you'd rescue your church from these heretics and from these heresies. Oh God, I pray you'd protect our children. The things that they hold in their hands, the things that have been hired as their babysitters. Are destroying them from the inside out. I can't be quiet about it anymore. I pray you'd help us today to hear and respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you hurting and broken?